Good morning, Castle Hill Church, and welcome to Online Church. We're so glad that you're joining us today. We're really excited that we're together again and that we get to be here on the Sabbath day. How awesome. Happy Sabbath. Welcome to church. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, good morning and happy Sabbath. My name is Terry Johnson, for those of you who are not familiar, and I'm the conference president for Western Australia. And this is my second time preaching at Castle Hill, but I've got to say it's the first time that I'm preaching in a church where we have two individuals here uh, on, on camera, and it's really quite odd, you know, because normally you have feedback coming from people, and you can tell whether or not they're sleeping, you can tell whether or not they're engaging with what you have to say, but in this case, we have to just kind of go on the fact that we believe that you're watching and that you're not turning it and going to some other channel. It's been quite an amazing few weeks of time, and we find ourselves here on this Sabbath day, the 28th of March, looking at a vision of Australia and of the world that we would never have even dreamed possible. And yes, while we are Seventh-day Adventists and understand the prophetic interpretations that are so dear to our heart and understand from the Great Controversy, chapters 31 to chapter 42, where the Great Controversy finishes, that these things will happen, it's not as if we were actually prepared for this to happen like it is today. And some of you are aware of the fact that when it came to earlier this week, we had a situation with Pastor Pablo and some concerns that occurred. And we're very thankful, Pablo and Megan and family, that you guys are doing well. We've been praying for you, and we hope that you will actually have a full recovery from the, the illness that you've had. And we're so, so very thankful that it wasn't more serious, as serious as it is, to have a chest infection. So today I want to share with you my sermon, which is called From Pandemonium to peace. And I'm going to take you to a Bible verse in Psalm chapter 31, and we're going to look at a number of scriptural texts today. So if you've got your Bible with you, please be prepared to go and scroll through it quite rapidly. If you've got your tablet or your smartphone, be ready to do the same as well. We want you to still open the Word of God and receive the faith-building exercise that comes from looking at the Word of life and, and the, the wonderful promises that God gives us as we're looking at these kinds of circumstances multiplying over the years to come before Jesus returns. Before we do that, let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much that you are our safety. And as we'll see in Psalm today, you are our refuge as well. Bless us, Lord, as we open up the word. May you speak through it. And may you bless all those who are listening wherever they may be. We pray, Father, for their safety, for their security, and above all, Lord, we pray that they will have peace through these days. In your name, amen. So come with me to Psalm chapter 31. Now, in many of the Psalms, we actually are told the context in which the Psalm was actually written. If it was David, we're told that he may have been in a cave or that he was writing a poem about a particular situation that was occurring around the time that he was writing it. But for this psalm, there is no information whatsoever. In fact, when you look at the psalm, all it says is, for the director of music, a psalm of David. So in essence, it is one of the psalms that we know very little about. But we can judge that from this psalm, David was more than likely finding himself in an environment where he was trapped, almost like an ambush. And in the ambush, he starts to realize 
that he is in deep, deep trouble. And I'm not going to start reading from the beginning of the psalm, because we'll get back to the beginning in a little bit. I want to start reading from verse 9, because from verse 9 in Psalm 31, it seems to paint a kind of picture that's very similar to the situation that we find ourselves in here in Australia and around the world when it comes to the coronavirus. Psalm chapter 31, verse 9. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and my body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak because of all of my enemies. I am the utter contempt of my neighbors. I am dread to my friends. Those who see me on the street, they actually flee from me. I am forgotten by them as though I were dead. Does not that give us an indication of the situation that we find ourselves in? The pandemonium that is happening right around the world, rightfully so, because people are very nervous about what COVID-19 can do, particularly to those who are most vulnerable. We're not exactly sure who are the most vulnerable, but they seem to be those who are aged, who have some form of pre-existing medical condition, and when it strikes, 80% while they are going to be fine, there is 20% who are going to actually deal with the situation quite poorly, and of them, many will die, as we have seen in China, in Italy, and in Spain. And if you think that it won't affect the Seventh-day Adventist Church, let me just be very clear with you and let you know that in Spain there have been three Seventh-day Adventists who have died and there are 56 people that we are aware of to date who have the coronavirus and who are suffering some of the ill effects. This is a respecter of no one, no race, no finances. It is the great equalizer of the planet. It doesn't seem to matter who you are and what kind of life you've lived. It just seems to matter whether or not you catch it. And when you catch it, things kind of go pear-shaped. And in the entire stressful environment of that, we end up with a pandemonium where people are rushing to Woolies and rushing to Coles and trying to buy as much toilet paper for some reason, and I'm not sure why toilet paper is so necessary, but toilet paper and all the staples of life have been taken off the shelves over the last few weeks, and it's only in the last six or eight days where the supermarkets have been able to bring back into play all of their product and to ensure that we are getting the supplies that we need. People are scared. And when people are scared, they don't want to talk to one another. They're not sure what to say. And we're finding that to be true right here, right now in Australia. And in particular, in Sydney, where we have over 1,200 cases of coronavirus. And of the 13 people who have died to date, the majority of them have actually died in Sydney. It's pandemonium. The news media is covering it 24 hours a day. And every single moment that they get a new story, a new angle, they're making sure and putting it out there. And it causes us to have anxiety. It causes us to be depressed. It causes us to actually deal with grief as well. And you'll find that the world as a whole is dealing with the symptoms of universal grief. And grief comes in many different ways. It can become that you're emotional. It can mean that you end up with mental health difficulties. But it also means that you're looking at life through a lens that you hadn't seen before. And isn't that what Psalm chapter 31, 
verse 9 and onward is saying. Let me read it again. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with grief. My soul, my body with sorrow. My life is consumed by the anguish and my years. Failing strength is catching up with me. Because of all my enemies, I'm the utter contempt of my neighbors. I'm a dread to my friends. And those who see me on the street flee from me. There's a four square meter exclusion zone. And here I am in this church, beautifully built, well crafted, well thought out. And there's three of us in this sanctuary. Brett on the camera over here and Pastor Nick on the camera over there. And all 300 locations of folk from Castle Hill who are watching the sermon wherever you may be. It's weird because we say that we worship God in spirit and truth and wherever two or three are gathered, there they are worshiping in my name. And yet, here we are in this circumstance. So when we look at a text like this one, we recognize the depth of grief that we're all dealing with. Now what I love about Psalm chapter 31 is that it doesn't stop with those words. The very beginning of the psalm actually gives us a far greater, far happier environment for us to consider. So we're going from pandemonium, from fear, all the way to the peace that comes with this psalm of David. Verse 1, in you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me, since you are my rock and my fortress. For the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Free me from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. And this is fantastic, because while the psalm started off with the pandemonium that surrounds us when we're filled with fear, the psalm now comes to a point where it actually tells us, into your hands I commit my spirit. And you will recognize those words, because they're used in two different passages in the New Testament. The first is found in Luke chapter 23 and verse 46, where Jesus is on the cross, and as he's dying, he says... Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he quotes from this psalm in the midst of his pandemonium. Now, he didn't have any pandemonium. He didn't have any fear. But all of his disciples who were surrounding him, they were in pandemonium. And all of the community that had been following him and become disciples of him, they were in pandemonium. There was a lot of fear that they had. And Christ on the cross as he is actually dying says these words from this psalm. And for me, that indicates that when we go from pandemonium and fear, we actually move to peace. Now here's the deal. When it comes to the understanding of peace, we as Christians talk about the hope that we have. We talk about the connection that we have with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We talk about the fact that we've been saved, that we've been baptized in Christ, born again and preparing for the second coming of Jesus. But many Christians are actually dealing with this pandemonium, this COVID-19, in the same way that the people of Israel who were the followers of Jesus were dealing 
with the fear that they had of the loss of Jesus on the cross. Instead of being able to see beyond the grave, they could only see the present. And isn't that normal? We can only see the present because that's where we live. It's hard for us to focus on the past. It's very hard for us to focus on the future because we don't quite know what the future holds, particularly if we haven't studied the Word of God. And so I want to share with you something that's happened to me personally over the last three and a half months that I believe will help you find the peace that you need in these dark moments. As a minister, we're expected to actually have strong spiritual lives. In fact, when we stand up in the pulpit on Sabbath morning and we're preaching, we're expected to not only have a clear understanding of the Word of God, but that the Holy Spirit will have given us the words that we want to share on the Sabbath to uplift the membership of the church. And for us as ministers, we put a lot of time and effort into ensuring that we actually have that strong relationship with God. But the fact of the matter is, is that for most of us as pastors, we struggle with the very same dilemma. What is personal devotion? And what is preparing for the sermon that's going to happen on Sabbath or the prayer meeting that's going to happen midweek? How do I ensure that what I'm studying in the morning is actually not work-related, but is related to the relationship that I'm longing to build with my Lord and Savior? And I've got to say to you transparently that that's always been a challenge for me over the 28 years that I've been a minister. It's very easy to actually get caught up in reading the Word of God in preparation for the next event, the next the next board meeting, uh, the next devotional, than it is to actually do it wanting to have the clear, personal, intimate relationship with our loving Savior that He wants for us to have. So in December of this last year, my wife and I had a few days where we ended up going to Manly Beach and uh, loved the area. And it was during that time that my wife and I made a decision that we were actually going to spend time every morning studying for ourselves and not for anyone else. Now, when you make that kind of a decision, it is one that can be easily broken because children come into play, life comes into play, and all of a sudden the desires that you had to ensure that you were connecting with God, ah, they kind of fall by the wayside. And I know that I'm talking to most of you who are out there because if that hasn't happened to you, well, then you're a saint and you're ready to be translated. Long may you live in the kingdom of heaven. But the other 99% of us who are truly being transparent with ourselves and really studying deeply our heart will know that we have struggled all of our lives to connect with Jesus Christ in a meaningful way that brings power. And that's the issue. That brings power. We talk a good game in church and we actually talk about the fact that we have a relationship with Jesus but the thing that we keep looking for is where is the power of the Holy Spirit living in our lives like he was living in the lives of the men and women who were part of the New Testament early church. 95% of what they did was only done through the power of the Holy Spirit. 5% of what they did was done through their own power, whereas today it seems that 95% of what we do is done through our own will, through our own power, and 5% is actually done through the power of the Holy Spirit, and therefore the church feels powerless. 
mean, we get up every Sabbath, we do our worship, we do our worship talks, we do our Sabbath school, we argue about the same issues from week to week. But where is the power of the Holy Spirit coming in and healing somebody, and not just healing them physically, but healing them spiritually so that you can see the transition from one week to the next of how God has actually taken them and taken them on a journey that you and I would never have been able to do for them. That was my challenge. And so when I started looking at my worships and realizing that my worships were really more along the lines of making sure that I was ready, I started to realize how little filling I was actually getting. And you know what I mean. Because most, most of us, when we read the Word of God, we read for five or ten minutes, and then we look for something a little bit more entertaining. But God says that in the Word of God is life. And in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I have come to bring you life and to bring you life more abundantly. And therefore, the study of the Word of God gives us the ability to look at life more abundantly. But it only comes when we make the decision to willingly surrender our lives for the Holy Spirit to come in and dwell. And that's the decision that we made on the 18th of December. I've got to say that in the four months that have occurred since that time, there's been a lot of things that have changed in my life. And I'm so thankful that God gave me that opportunity to reconnect in such an intimate manner. Because I fear that if I had not have had that opportunity at that time, when this COVID-19 stress came into play, I don't believe I would have been ready. To him goes all the glory. Let me tell you a very quick story. A few weeks ago, we were looking at the COVID-19 pro process and how it was moving. And in the Greater Sydney Conference, Eva, Pastor Kenneth, and myself got together and we started praying. And we said, Lord, what is it that you want us to do to make sure that we're prepared for this moment? And we started talking two weeks ago about what it was that we wanted to put in place and we instituted it two weeks ago on Monday, closing down the conference office except for necessary business. Preparing the office and the pastors to be able to work from home so that they would not contract or pass on. Because for us as ministers, our stock and trade is relationships. It's gathering together. It's getting to know people and then sharing with them. We started making sure that the elders and the treasurers of the local church and all the leaders across our conference in aged care and school were preparing for this moment. And every time that the government has stood up and said, we are instituting more restrictions, we've been ready. And we've been able to actually step forward quickly with the information that was necessary to inform all of our churches of what they needed to do to be prepared. And brothers and sisters, in my heart of heart, I know that the only reason that we've been able to do that is because of the power of the Holy Spirit speaking when we had not heard what to do prior. So I ask you, when it comes to your relationship with Jesus, where do, does the Holy Spirit fit into that relationship? For most of us, we believe that the Holy Spirit is given to us on the day of our baptism. And on that day, we rejoice. And we actually make a big celebration of it, which is fantastic. But very, 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 very rarely does a pastor after, the, order, uh, after the, the baptism actually bring the candidate up to the front and ask the church to come and lay hands on that person 
to share in the giftedness of what the Holy Spirit means. Because for us as Seventh-day Adventists, we have, we've gone and got a mixed message when it comes to the Holy Spirit. We talk about the fruit of the Spirit of Galatians chapter 5, for sure. We talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we long for those gifts, and we pray for those gifts. But very few of us are actually praying on a daily basis to actually have the Holy Spirit living in us in such a meaningful and powerful way that our lives are transformed. And let me just give you a very quick illustration of what I mean by that transformation. When the Holy Spirit is living in your life, there is grace, there is mercy, there is patience, there is faith, and there's most definitely abundant life because He has given us abundant life. And that abundant life comes from the understanding of the hope that God has actually placed in our heart. It's not something that we do, it's something that He does for us. And that means that as we're driving to work, we are more patient with the individual that cuts the line and comes in front of us. It means that instead of our human natural heart jumping to the fore, we actually ask ourselves, I wonder what's happening in that person's life that has made them react in this particular manner. Lord, let me pray for that person. I don't know what's happening in their life, but may the Holy Spirit actually speak to their heart, and if they're willing and able, may you enter into their lives and transform them. All of a sudden, the way that we look at life changes because the Holy Spirit sees life very, very differently. I want you to come with me to a passage in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and the last part of that chapter from verse 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. And in this passage, God through Paul tells us that there's two kinds of individuals in the world. Verse 14. The man and woman without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's category number one. The individuals who being born sinful have never found any necessary aspect of their life that desires to actually connect with God and be obedient to someone they cannot see. Then there's the second aspect in verse 15. The spiritual man or woman makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subjected to any of man's judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. In other words, there is something quite special about an individual who is a spiritual individual. They have the mind of Christ. And in the book of John... Jesus actually tells his disciples in chapter 16, I'm telling you the truth, I need to actually go away so that I can send you the comforter who will actually be better for you than what I could do. And what Jesus was saying was that it's the power of the Holy Spirit living in our hearts that transforms us into having life more abundantly. That's very important. We have not focused enough on that. And as a result of not focusing enough on that, when we've been baptized, when we've come to church, we actually fall into a category that Paul clarifies in chapter 3 and verse 1 of 1 Corinthians. He goes on to say, Brothers and sisters of the Corinth church, I could not address you as spiritual, but as carnal, Mere infants in Christ. 
I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still carnal, for there is jealousy and quarreling among you. Therefore, aren't you worldly? So the difference is that you're either worldly and living in sin and have no desire to be with God, or you're spiritual and have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you've never taken the time to truly understand what the power of the Holy Spirit living in your life can actually accomplish. And as a result, you end up actually being more carnal than spiritual, more focused on what it is that you can get out of the relationship with Jesus than what you can actually do for Christ and his mission around the world. So while we're living in pandemonium, and trying to move to peace, the only way that we can actually move to peace is by having the Holy Spirit living in us because the Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. And perfect love is actually the character of God and the character of God is reproduced in us through the power of the Holy Spirit who is redeeming us by sanctifying us. Those are powerful words when you think about it. But when was the last time that you actually had an opportunity to hear about the power of the Holy Spirit? I want to tell you a story. In June of last year, I was sitting in my conference office, and a senior retired minister came in and sat down, Elder Frank Tosconi. And Frank looked at me and said, Pastor Johnson, have you thought about all of the Arabic people who live in, in Australia, and in particular in Sydney? And I told him, no, I, I hadn't thought about those who speak Arabic, whether they're Muslim or Christian. I hadn't thought about them very much. He said, have we thought about actually doing some kind of a special evangelistic program for them? And I said, no, we haven't talked about it at all. He said, have you thought about an individual who could actually be in charge of that program that we can put here at the conference office with a title and get them to connect with the individuals who are Arabic speaking? And I said, no, I, I had not. And, and Frank looked at me and says, well, I have, and here's what I think you should do. It's always nice when somebody comes into my office with a problem, but a solution as well. Particularly if the solution doesn't cost a lot of money. Eva is thrilled, and particularly in these times. Well, he gave me the name of an individual, and I looked at the name for a couple of weeks, and finally talked to Eva and Kenneth, and we decided that we would actually ask this individual whether or not he'd be interested in coming on board. So I called him into my office, and into my office walked Mr. Edison Akrawi. Mr. Edison Akrawi is a member of the Warunga Church and has also been a member of the Parramatta and Fairfield Church. But before 1991 and the first Gulf War in the land of Iraq, he was a Seventh-day Adventist minister in Iraq for nine years where he worked as a departmental director and as a pastor throughout the land of Iraq. He was never ordained because there couldn't be anybody from the Union and from the conference to come into Iraq because at the time it was locked off as a result of the war that Iraq and Iran were having with one another, and of course with the United States as well. So he and his wife decided that they would move to Australia, and when they moved to Australia there was no jobs available for him to be a minister. And so he went into IT, and he was a very good IT employee. In fact, he's still well regarded in the IT industry, but in June of last year, he was contemplating retirement. And as I called him, he walked into my office and said, Pastor Johnson, you're not going to believe this, but I've been contemplating retirement and I'm planning on retiring in the next two months and I've been asking God, what is it that you want me to do? 
and he said, you called. And I was amazed. I said, all right, Edison, what do you think we need to do? And he outlined a plan as to what we should do to get in touch with the Arabic-speaking people because he speaks it fluently. And as he did that, there were a couple of things that happened quickly over the next six months. In the six months from June to December, we baptized seven Arabic-speaking people in Sydney. Seven. Two of them saw visions from God. And those visions, uh, one of them, I'll just tell you her story, she was she awakened by a vision where she saw Jesus telling her to wake up. And when she woke up, she looked over and her son was choking on his tongue. He had cerebral palsy. And she was able to save him. And as a result of saving him, she said, I need to go and find out who this Jesus is. And she walked and she found our Bankstown Seventh-day Adventist Church. And she talked to our minister, Pastor Tai, who's from the Cook Islands. And Pastor Tai called me up and said, you're never going to believe this, but we have an Arabic-speaking uh, individual from Pakistan who, who wants to become a Christian. What can you do to help me? Well, that happened less than two weeks after we put Pastor Edison Akrawi in the role of Arabic ministries. And he was able to connect with her, and as a result of connecting with her, he was able to baptize her, and her husband, who was very much against it from the start, was so taken with the love that Pastor Edison was able to share that he came to the baptism as well and witnessed his wife being baptized. There are stories after story like this one from around Greater Sydney and around Australia that clearly show that the power of the Holy Spirit is alive and well. The only question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we willing to invite Him in? So, what does God require? God only requires a few things. First of all, you have to have a willing heart. You have to be willing to surrender your heart completely so that the Holy Spirit can come in. And secondly, you have to be obedient. You have to be obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit who's leading out of the Word of God, the living Word of God. Thirdly, you have to have this strong desire to be in the presence of God at all times, listening to what He has to say. You put those three things together and you claim the promises of the Scriptures that say that Jesus wants to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit gratis, free of charge. All you have to do is claim the promise and believe that the Holy Spirit has actually been given you. He's looking for that. But here's the kicker. Like I said, when we're baptized, we often think that that's the one time that we need to be in the Holy Spirit. But the way that Scripture actually talks about it is very different. Come with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. And in this very short text comes a principle that Scripture talks about a lot, but that we haven't actually extrapolated the information to meet the time that we live in. It's a very short sentence, and it's in part B, the second part of verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 5. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Be filled with the Spirit. And in the English, unfortunately, we don't get 
the nuances of what this text is actually saying. Be filled with the Holy Spirit means something that happens on a regular basis. The word be, first of all, is actually a plural word. It means y'all, like we say in Texas. All of us. And on top of that, it is a verb that actually means continuous. It's not just be one day. It's continue to be all of you. In other words, Paul is saying, all of us need to continually be asking the Holy Spirit to fill us. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is not a one-time deal. It is a daily occurrence. And it seems from Scripture that you and I are actually porous vessels. Holy as in holes, not as in sacred and holy vessels. Men and women who need to be completely rebaptized on a daily basis with the power of the Holy Spirit coming in us. And it seems that in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is given for that day with the wisdom that we need for that day, with the infilling that we need for that day, with the direction that we need for that day, and not for the following days. Which is why Jesus, when he was on our planet, every morning, as the book of Mark, chapter 1 and chapter 2 tell us, would wake up at a very early hour and go and spend time with the Father, and he himself was filled with the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you a question. If the creator of the universe, as Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 tells us, Jesus had to wake up every morning and go and be filled with the Holy Spirit through his connection with his Father, why do you think that you and I don't need to do the same thing? I would think that we probably need to do it even more. And I found that we do need to do it more. We do need to actually come before the Lord and say, Father, I surrender my life. I want to follow you. I want all of my desires to be your desires. I want to obey you in all that you ask me to be obedient in. I want to love like you love because you've told us that perfect love casts out all fear. Once that happens, something changes on the inside of us. And this is what it is you're not going to notice any change overnight. The Holy Spirit takes care of the little rocks and the big rocks in our life and and gets rid of them. But the Holy Spirit does something that really is very important. He brings us to the understanding that what we need to do is share what He has filled us with. If we don't share, it just sits and does nothing. But all of a sudden we have a testimony, a witness that we can give because we can see what God is doing in our lives and in the lives of our family as we're asking him to come and live daily with us. Come with me to the book of Acts chapter 1. In the book of Acts chapter 1, we know that Jesus is actually leaving and as he's leaving, he says these words. In verse 3, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. 
he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Sydney, in New South Wales, in Australia, and to the ends of the earth. You notice that when it comes to becoming a witness, there is a boldness of the belief that you have that comes as a result of the Holy Spirit dwelling in your life. There's not much of a testimony available when the Holy Spirit is not living in your life. Now I know that, like, like me, many of you have actually come to a testimony service. And in the testimony service, there are all kinds of wonderful stories that are told. But there are always a few people who come up and they take the limelight. They hog the stories about what's going on. And most of the stories that are shared in testimony are of the milk variety, as Paul told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and chapter 3. You know, I lost my keys in the sand and I prayed and God was able to bring the keys back. Wonderful. And I'm not discounting them at all. I think they're fantastic and they build our faith. And we need to build our faith so that our hope is strong and we have patience to be able to deal with the last day events. But that's milk. Where's the meat? Where are the stories of God's transformation where I was an abuser and as a result of Christ coming into my life and the Holy Spirit living in me, I could no longer hit my wife. I could no longer abuse my children. I had strange sexual desires and as a result of Jesus Christ coming into my life, I no longer had to deal with any of that. Where is that kind of Holy Spirit dwelling testimony that we can hear from the pulpit? And that's why I'm asking you as my fellow believers to look at the question of whether or not you've actually asked Jesus Christ to move not only in your life in terms of assurance, but to send you, to send you the Holy Spirit to transform who you are into He longs for you to be. Because the moment that you're able to do that, you'll be able to stand up with boldness and share the good news of what He's actually done for you. You're testifying. You testify in the train. You testify in your car. You testify at work. You testify in the way that you're a man and a woman of integrity. People are drawn not to you, but to Christ in you, the hope of glory. And in that, we're able to transform the world around us. Testimony. From pandemonium, fear, to peace, with the Holy Spirit living in our hearts, and as a result, to having a witness, a testimony I want to conclude by taking you back to Psalm chapter 31, but this time to the end of the chapter. We looked at the middle, we looked at the beginning, and now we want to look at the end. And the end is fascinating, because I want you to picture in your mind that you're sitting in the Castle Hill Church, the COVID-19 is no longer here, and you're here to listen to the testimonies of God's people. 
And in Psalm chapter 31, we've had refuge, we've had strength, into thy hands I commit my spirit, and we have testimony in verse 21. Somebody stands up to the pulpit and they utter these words, Praise be to the Lord, for he showed his wonderful love to me when I was in the besieged city of Sydney surrounded by COVID-19. In my alarm I said, I am cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy. When I called to you for help, you were there. Love the Lord, all you saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful, but the proud he pays back in full. So be strong, take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. I want that to be my testimony. I don't want this COVID-19 pandemic to be a simple wake-up call, an alarm that I sleep through. I want it to be a wake-up call that reminds me that God is coming back. And when he comes back, he's bringing justice with him as well. And I actually want to be on the side of the kingdom, not on the other side. That side sounds painful and horrific. Gnashing of teeth and wailing. And I know that most of the time I'm actually on that side. In the idols that I have, in the way in which I live. But I want to be on this side. And I want to be on this side because of the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in me. Not through my power. Not through my strength. And I want to be able to testify about God's goodness. About the abundance of life that I have because He is the abundance of life. I want to be able to testify and praise God like the psalmist did in verse 21, 22, 23, and 24 of Psalm 31. I want to be able to claim that God is my refuge and my strength in a moment when all of humanity is in pandemonium. There is peace. There is hope. And there is a testimony. I pray that you will accept Jesus Christ into your life at this time as your Savior and that you will call freely yielding yourself to the Holy Spirit so that He will be able to dwell in you and give you the power to testify about His goodness. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and give you peace. Let's pray together. Father God, as we've looked at Psalm chapter 31 and the wonders of your word. They bring life in moments of panic, in moments of pandemonium. They bring security. Above all, they bring peace, a peace that surpasses our human understanding. And Lord, we don't want this moment to go to waste. We want to be able to fill our lamps like the wise virgins did with the Holy Spirit. And in so doing, have a testimony of the goodness of who you are to be able to share the good news of your soon coming, of your birth, your life, your death, the resurrection, which gives us hope that the promises of your soon coming are real. May each one of us 
who claim to be followers of Jesus, truly be spiritual men, women, and children. May we want to eat the meat that Paul was talking about and not be satisfied with the milk that we have been satisfied with to date. Bless us, Father. Send us your latter rain so that we can do what you've called us to do. It's to share in spirit, in truth, in boldness. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.